Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. So how is everyone? How's everyone doing? Yes, I'm back. Uh, you're not hearing things. It is actually me. I'm not that kind of impressions. <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't been practicing enough, have you, Neil? No. I think we're going to kick off with our latest sightings first. And I'm going to go first this time. Go on, then. And I think it's going to be, it might be pretty much a bird fest of latest sightings for for both of us i think it's just that time of year it's not i a do huge i do have one that's not a bird actually that is still very much this time of year but i'll get to that in a minute does the mosquito in my house count as a latest sighting yep <gasps> erica would say it would wouldn't she she would yes erica that one's for you there's a mosquito in my house seen it tonight there we go so my latest sightings uh, I've seen red kites again, but this time in a different place. It's not between Froome and Radstock. This time it was between Shepton Mallet and Froome. So I'm guessing kind of different different group. This morning on my way to and from Bristol, I saw four buzzards in a kestrel all sitting there watching the world go by on their posts on a very cold morning. And apart from that, that's actually about it. But we've had a really, really cold week. There's been a lot of rain and a lot of flooding and then see the, the freezing conditions. And also, to be fair, I've also been away for three weeks. Um, I've actually only been back a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I haven't really seen much else other than that. How about you, Neil? You've got to have something more interesting going on than I have. Yeah, I've actually managed to go out and I even travelled somewhere to see some wildlife. So that was pretty cool. I went up to Yorkshire to see my good friend Dave and we went to... An RSVP reserve that I can't remember the name of. Oh, I should have written it down. Uh, Fairburnings. Fair it was, sorry, it's Fairburnings. And I waited and waited for a willow tit to appear because I've never seen one. And it didn't. But I saw lots of dunnocks and a nice buzzard and stuff like that. So that was, that was all pretty cool. I might even stick up a video of what I saw. But the next day we went to a tiny little Yorkshire Wildlife Trust nature reserve to see an insect I've always wanted to see. And that is the snow flea which is a tiny little scorpion fly. Well, I say that. It, the classification is a bit blurry. Wait till we put the episode out on them and I'll clear that up a bit more. And they're these tiny little five millimetre insects that are cold specialists. If you pick them up too long, they will die from the heat. And you have to crawl around on all fours looking at bits of moss. <laughs> yeah. I've got which a great is, image in my head oh, right now. The three of us doing it. Uh, my friend Dave managed to find one in five minutes and lost it. Well, I lost it almost instantaneously while he got his camera ready. So he wasn't best pleased, but he's very patient with me. We both looked around with uh, Nimi as well, all looking around, trying to find this darn snow fleas somewhere. But it was getting warm when I thought that might be it. And then, bam, I spotted another one. And we watched her for a good half hour, hour, three of us <laughs> following this five millimetre long insect around the moss. Absolutely hilarious. Some of you probably saw the photos, though. I was chuffed a bit. Uh, I saw one in a book about 10, 12 years ago, maybe longer than that, and always wanted to see one, so that was really cool. It made Nick Baker jealous, so that's always a plus. <laughs> Definitely. Popped up to Aberton last Friday. It's a nice scorp, greater scorp close in. Yes, birds. Goosanders and Goldeneye diving right in front of the causeway, all brilliant. And a stork flew over, which is quite nice, although it's not technically a proper wild one. It's one that's escaped or been released from somewhere, but still nice to see a stalk. And on a day on Sheppey with my good friend Phil and Ben, who was on the podcast, you know, the Young Conservationist or Birders podcast we did 
well, it's nearly two years ago now, isn't it? That's quite scary. He came along with us with his dad, and we had a bitten right outside the car when we were driving into a car park, so I got a headshot of a bitten. Not, you know, out of pure skill, out of no other choice, because it was so close. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, I've done all right. I can't moan too much. I've been out a few times and, and got some nice, nice sightings. So yeah, no complaints from me on that front, really. We said it is a bit of a bird fest at this time of year, isn't it? Because we, yeah. we're just waiting. We are waiting for things to come back to life. Yeah, that's why I had to drive all the way up to Yorkshire to see an insect. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few bits around. If you look, there are springtails, which incidentally is a strong hint to an upcoming topic in a forthcoming episode. If all goes to plan, springtails. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I ruined the subtle hint. Okay, we just have some thank yous as well. So a big thank you to all of you that have been supporting us through Buy Me A Coffee. We don't have a sponsor or any other income from the podcast, so it is very much appreciated. And here's some of the comments that they've they've left for us. To Graham, who bought us lots of coffees, who said, thanks for all the great podcasts. Hope to come on one of your workshops next year. Thank you very much, Graham. We've also got Matt, who also bought lots of coffees. Most pleased that someone out there is doing this. So thanks. I work for one of the Wildlife Trusts and have been doing the miles lately looking after livestock. So your podcasts have been perfect for learning about all sorts of unknown subjects. I've even asked for a hydrophone for Christmas. Best wishes to you both. Oh, thanks for that, Matt. Mm, that's brilliant. Got one from Mark Hunter, who's bought an annual membership. Enjoying the podcast and learning a lot from it. Hopefully can put some of the information to use in my wildlife photography. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's massively appreciated. And good luck with the wildlife photography. Mm. Someone that didn't leave their name, who's our other member, so thanks for supporting the podcast, wrote, I recently came across your podcast. What a find. Today, I have completed your entire back catalogue. Brilliant show. I have loved listening to you both chat about wildlife. The shows are both informative and sincere, making it easy to follow both as a newbie naturalist and from the scientific perspective. Absolutely loved listening to your special guests episodes and hear your interviewing and editing techniques improve as the show grows. I'm glad. I'm glad he said it improves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely think it's important to continue to share your views at our current environmental governance, as it will help inspire others to make a stand. Our wildlife is running out of time. I have to laugh at your running joke about bird sighting. Neil, you talk about the most episodes. Uh-oh, I'm getting found out. <laughs> <laughs> please don't stop it helps create an overall picture of the state of wildlife in general well done to you both Vic hope the shoulder is recovering oh thank you very much and and yeah I think Neil has a secret obsession with birds we're going to get that out of his system this year don't worry we've already got plans yeah. um. <laughs> I mean some of them are pretty cool let's be honest I mean, freaking cuckoos for a start. But let's not, let's not go down that route of how brilliant birds are because I've got a reputation to keep here and it's already suffering from all the bird watching I did last week. <laughs> yeah, massively. Yeah, we've got some other comments that we did thank the people for buying us a coffee before Christmas, but I couldn't get the comments to come up. I've worked out how it works now. And buy me a coffee, your usual face is a bit clunky. Not bad, just a bit clunky. That's all I'm going to say. So the first one's green ombre. Keep it up. Love the short episodes. Easy to fit in in the day. I like this one then. (laughs) Roman bought lots of coffees for us and said, a brilliant podcast production, enthusiasm plus nerdiness with the occasional dash of outrage. Cole, keep up the good work. I think that's the first time we've actually been referred to as nerdiness. It's very accurate though, to be fair. I actually really like that. Yeah, it is very accurate, (laughs) to be fair. At Tweed Ecology, excellent podcast. More of the outrage shown in your latest show, please. See, told you. (laughs) <laughs> see what happens when I have to take some time off yeah. I was a bit worried about going both barrels but I was a little bit annoyed 
and uh, someone sent us money when I did it. So it's not gonna, that's not gonna discourage me now. And we've got one more from Brooke. She says, "Hi both. I want to thank you for the amazing work you do on this podcast. I have been a long time listener, and would credit the podcast for my career change to conservation." Wow, that's uh, quite a big. Wow. Thanks very yeah. much. It's a big accolade. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to now work on the Farne Islands. Very jealous. Um, and constantly regurgitate your fun facts and stories I hear on your podcast to visitors and tell them about you, of course. Please keep doing what you're doing. Well, no, thank you <laughs> for sharing, sharing our podcast. Thank you and, uh, so much. That's such a, such a, wow, positive influence that makes change for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those comments are absolutely lovely and we do appreciate every kind of comment, every like, share, you know, spreading the word about the podcast, you know, all the buy me a coffees, all the support. It just, it honestly means the world to both uh, myself and Neil. So yeah, huge thank you to everyone. Yeah. And the more buy me coffees we get, the more I can justify and Vic to some extent as well, I suppose, spending more time doing podcasty stuff. Because obviously we have to, I mean, I've got a family to support. So I've got a prioritize the money bringing in stuff but now the podcast is bringing in a bit of money i can put a bit more time into it you know you want more episodes that's not a threat that came a bit threatening didn't it (laughs) (laughs) but if you want to encourage me to do more episodes and and me and vic then uh, do consider the membership or a little buy me a coffee it is very much appreciated we're happy to give you shout outs and whatever in return so yeah go for it guys if you can yeah if you do want a shout out you want to wish and you want us to wish friend or anything a happy birthday or you know you want to share something cool yeah. with us just get in touch you know on our social media channels drop us a you know message um, and we'll stick it in an episode yeah. i think it's time for the news isn't it Vic? yep i thought i'd start the news with something positive for a change dorset council has bought 13 acres of land near blandford to create a wildlife corridor for greater horseshoe bats this land which is next to the existing milldown nature reserve is to be planted up with trees Greater horseshoe bats are pretty rare in Europe, not just in the UK, so this is great to see something to help them out. I'm sure most of you listening will be aware that wild camping was banned on Dartmoor, the last place it was legal to wild camp in the UK, after a court ruled in favour of the landowner trying to block it. Now, the bit that's probably most relevant to this podcast is that the landowner argued that he needed the ban to improve conservation of the Dartmoor commons by stopping the litter and disturbance by campers. But it turns out his land borders Deedles Wood National Nature Reserve, which is also an SSSI, a site of special scientific interest, and a SAC, a special area of conservation, and home to the very rare blue ground beetle, which is found in just 15 sites in all of the UK. And yet local residents say there are pheasant release pens less than 250 metres from this National Nature Reserve, and nothing stopping them entering the woods. Under the current licence that covers pheasant releases, pheasants should not be released within 500 metres of an SAC, like Dendleswood National Nature Reserve. And Natural England's conservation plan for the site mentions the release into the site of any wild, feral or domestic animal and introduction of and changes in game and waterfowl management and hunting practice under the heading Operations Likely to Damage the Special Interest. It will be interesting to see if any action is taken but Dartmoor National Park are appealing the ruling over wild camping, and this could play a part in it. Sadly, the idiot segment of dog ownership have been busy again. The Hebridean sheep at Pegston Hills Nature Reserve, used for conservation grazing, were chased by a dog for 20 minutes, with one sheep sadly killed after falling from height, and another two badly injured by mauling. 
The owners were challenged by members of the public, but they just shouted abuse back at them. This is the fourth attack on this site this year. But they've been busy elsewhere as well. A seal pup in 4V Nature Reserve in Newborough, Aberdeenshire, was attacked by two dogs. There were reports of waterfowl being harassed in Bushy Park, where all dogs should be on a lead near water. This was on the day that it was sub-zero and the birds would have been trying to conserve energy. A signet was savaged by two dogs and died from its injuries near Tetney. And finally, a story that was widely shared on Twitter, an owner was seen filming their dog chasing around a goose until they realised they were being watched and pretended to try and stop the dog from doing it. Now the worst thing of this is the goose didn't fly away, so there's a pretty high chance it had bird flu and their dog has now been exposed to that. An example of how it's not just the wildlife that suffers from bad owners, it's the poor dogs themselves too. Okay, and now kind of got the news out of the way, we're going to go to our main topic for this episode. And it's back to plants, and we're actually going to discuss and chat about the lesser celandine for this episode, which is a beautiful little yellow flower. And I think, Neil, you're going to kick us off. Yes, it's quite often seen as sort of the harbinger of spring or the start of spring, depending on your point of view of that sort of thing. For those that don't know, a lesser celandine, it's a low hairless perennial, and it usually grows about 10 centimetres, 15 centimetres high, but can grow up to 30 centimetres high. I've never seen one that tall, have you, Vic? No, I haven't. That has to be like a monster celandine, because I've never seen one that high. Giant (laughs) celandines. The flowers are like solitary. They grow up on their own spike, and they're about 1.5 to 5 centimetres across. I'll find them towards the upper end of that. With 7 to 12 glossy yellow petals, and they often have faded white patches on them, so quite often the older ones, the older they get, they get a bit more patchy. Maybe not the tiredest looking flower when they're a bit old, but what flowers are, really. The leaves are long, stalked, and heart-shaped, and dark green with light and dark patches and the leaves appear from December onwards so if you go out there now you should start seeing the plants. I'm pretty sure I saw one flowering in a front garden today on the school run but they flower from February to May usually but in a warmer year they can flower earlier but I don't think this year counts as a warmer year so far. No I'm gonna go with probably not. I've not seen them flowering yet but they are already the leaves are already out in the front garden here. Yeah, I probably should put a disclaimer that they could have been some sort of yellow pansy, but they were too far away. And I was rushing on the school run, so I didn't have time to look. But I did see some speedwell trying to flower this morning, which is slightly insane with all the frost everywhere. Going back to the celandines, they're a vital source for nectar for early insects, for things like queen bumblebees and certain types of beetle and true fly that are around at this time of year. But despite their name, they're not related to the greater celandine, which is actually a type of poppy. They're part of the ranunculus family, which you're going to cover a bit more in a minute, which is basically the buttercups and crowfoots and all those sorts of flowers. But once it's flowered, it dies back in May. Basically, the plant pretty much disappears at the surface, as my father-in-law says, because a lot of people pull up lesser celandine as a weed, but he says he just leaves it, because basically it comes up this time of year, it flowers, gives a bit of colour when there's no other flowers really in bloom, and it disappears by May, so why rip it up? Because it gets rid of itself by May time and all your other flowers are coming up. Take a leaf out of his book, I say. Definitely. So I think, as Niels mentioned, it is the Ranunculus family, and the Latin name actually means little frog. No guesses for why we might be covering this flower. And plants in this genus, named because many of the species actually grow in marshy habitats, although, to be fair, lesser celandines grow pretty much anywhere. There's actually further confusion in the etymology as the plant's Latin name, Fecuria verna, 
kind of spiny figs, which actually comes from the Latin word ficus, a fig, which refers to the appearance of the tubers, which also gives rise to an alternative common name for it, which is pilewort, and in the past has actually been used as a remedy for hemorrhoids. Now, other names for it actually include spring messenger. Um, as Neil said, it's often kind of seen as like the harbinger of spring. Smallwort, bright eye, cheese cups, butter and cheese, and my personal favourite, frog's foot, which I think really probably relates more to the leaves than, than the flowers. But I love the cheese cup name. I might start using that. Yeah, Got butter cups that's and cheese quite a cool cups. one, isn't it? I, I can't get... I've not heard bright eye before because they're... I mean, there is another plant that we will be covering mm. at some point, I'm sure, called Eyebright, but I've never heard it called yes, Bright Eye. One of those flowers you can identify to the group, but going to species is just hair pulling time. But also incredibly interesting. Yeah. Oh, they are really pretty cool, and they're really pretty. Mm. But we'll go back to the lovely lesson. One of my favourite flowers, I think. I've got lots of favourite flowers, though. But going back to these little tubers that Vic mentioned, they do break off quite easily and can spread around and you know they'll colonize bits of disturbed soil or get washed down streams which really helps them colonize new areas and you know spread and grow and some of the subspecies are really not very fertile so that not many seeds get pollinated so they reckon this is the main way they spread there are a lot of different subspecies we're not going to go too much into today because it all gets a bit complicated but there is one subspecies which has tiny mini bulbs that grow on the main stem where the leaves attach and these are called bulbules and these spread even more easily than the little tubers that's another vegetative way of spreading for them. Now the flowers themselves, they open to the sun in daytime and close up at night and in overcast weather as well. There's been a bit of research into why they do this. So the research suggests that they close the flowers up as it decreases the rate of being eaten by some herbivores. And this is a particular strategy for early spring plants like the lesser celandine that flower at times of insufficient food availability for those herbivores so basically they're an easy target so they have to close up and try and hide it's also been shown that by closing the petals up at night it helps protect the developing seeds from the cold and frost that you get at this time of year it's all very clever and you may have noticed that celandines, along with a lot of these related plants in the ranunculus are quite shiny but it seems to be especially noticeable in lesser celandines when you look under UV light, it amplifies the effect of them glowing. So you end up with the end of the petals being a lot more reflective to UV light. And then it gets darker towards the centre where all the pollen and nectar is. So it almost acts like a bullseye for bees and other pollinating insects. It's all very clever stuff. It is. And I mean, some of these plants are, the more you look into them, they are absolutely fascinating. And one thing I've actually been doing is looking more into kind of some of this stuff and got some a lot of big words coming up now i hope you're prepared for this neil Uh-oh. So <laughs> this is why i'm doing this bit isn't it yep. <laughs> i've actually been looking into some of the old kind of traditional medicinal uses of some of these plants as well it's, it's absolutely fascinating the flowering stems of lesser celandine have been used medicinally as they contain protoanemian, which is a toxin found in all plants of the buttercup family when the plant is wounded or macerated Ranunculin, which is an unstable glucoside, is enzymatically broken down into glucose and protoanemonin, but they also contain anemonin, <laughs> another compound found in plants in the buttercup family. And this is the dimerization of protoanemonin as well as tannins and vitamin C, and in the past was used to treat scurvy. I think I need a breath after that. Oh, it's bad, bad enough to say all that without some sort of breathing problems. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, there are actually a few recipes that have used lesser celandine in the past, and these include lesser celandine and ground ivy stew and lesser celandine stroganoff. Now, it should be said that, you know, please don't go out and start eating these plants unless you know what you're doing because they do have to be prepared and cooked properly don't go out eating raw plants and if you poison yourself it's not our fault (laughs) it's not our fault we told you not to (laughs) now kind of away from the medicinal and food uses the lesser celandine was actually a favorite flower of william wordsworth who wrote three poems about them the small celandine to the same flower and to the small celandine they're also mentioned in c.s lewis's lion witch in the wardrobe When Aslan returned and the woodland turns from winter to spring, the ground was covered in all directions with yellow celandine flowers, which is absolutely lovely. It was once thought you could use the lesser celandine to predict the weather as they close their flowers before rain. I don't know if that really holds true now because our weather is so up and down. An up and coming date for you, February the 21st, is known as Celandine Day as it's thought to be the peak flowering day for lesser celandine. Well, used to be, but let's face it, Everything's changing these days with climate change and the way things are. So I don't think we can necessarily say that February the 21st will be the peak flowering time. But keep an eye out because they are absolutely stunning flowers. And they're that lovely first kind of kick of colour that we get towards the end of winter, especially snowdrops. They'll be coming up soon and, and joining them. So keep an eye out and go celandine hunting and see if you can find any and let us know. And one other interesting fact I found, go back to William Wordsworth, was that they decorated his tomb with celandines because he loved them so much. Unfortunately, <laughs> someone made a bit of a mistake and they decorated it with greater celandine, not less. A bit of a boo-boo by someone there. And if you want to see greater celandine, they don't flower to a lot later as well. They're sort of April, May, I think it is. So yeah, they're a completely different plant. They just have to be yellow as well. So someone lumped them together at some point. So it sounds like my level of botany, to be honest. <laughs> oh, but there we go. Hopefully you've enjoyed our little venture into the world of, of lesser celandines. And like I said, I think certainly here, there is a little flower bud. I don't think it's going to open anytime soon, given the fact it's minus seven outside. But yeah, keep an eye out because they should start to come into flower soon, especially in the more sunny, more sheltered spots. Hope you enjoyed the old school episode, isn't it? You know, we did the, the standard update, wildlife sightings, news and profile for species. Hope to do a lot more of these. We've got a lot of episodes planned for the next few months. We're going to try and record as many as we can with Vic, sometimes without Vic, in the next few months. So we've got enough to last us a few months so you don't have the big gaps that we've been having recently. So that's the plan. Hope you enjoyed the episode, everyone. And I think that's it from us, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I think it is. See you in the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.